Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. It is Ascension Sunday. That's what the Christian calendar tells us. As a matter of fact, uh, Thursday was the day of Ascension, and some traditions uh, they celebrated with a feast and all kinds of revelry and merriment. Ascension Day, I, I know. Ascension. In a um, system of belief that includes some stories that feel like they might belong in uh, science fiction sorts of categories, perhaps the Ascension is one of the two that most feels like it is sci-fi. I mean, this is the day that we celebrate that our resurrected Jesus was taken up into the clouds. Now, what do we do with that? What, what possibly can we do with that? I would submit to you that this is crucial, that this particular understanding of the ascension that we're gonna work through today is crucial. I would submit to you that the work of the cross and even the work of the resurrection is not completed without the ascension. We need it. Hopefully, I can help us to see how it is that we need it. But we haven't needed it, or we haven't known how to understand it. And since we haven't known how to understand it, we are probably guilty of what Brian Zahn has said here, in fact, this week. Too often, we seem to regard the ascension of Christ as a kind of awkward explanation for the absence of Christ. Where is Jesus? Well, I don't know, but he did fly away. Well, after his resurrection, Jesus lifted off for outer space and is now hanging out with God in heaven until he comes back. That's kind of how we understand it. That's kind of the, all the farther that we go with it. Again, I would submit to you, no, no, this is crucial. In fact, hear me say this. The theology that surrounds the ascension is just as crucial as the theology that surrounds the resurrection. It is completed in the ascension. The work done in the cross and resurrection is completed and implemented in some sense in the ascension. All right, we'll come back to all of this. Are you familiar with this symbol? Are you familiar with this? Okay. Um, if I were to ask you to choose your favorite Superman, you have lots and lots and lots of options. Let me tell you some things about Superman. Um, first seen in a comic book in 1938, two writers, Siegel and Schuster, these were actually Jewish folks who were writing in response to a, a ramping up anti-Semitism that was taking place in Europe. This was the rise of the Third Reich and all of that. And so they wrote, they, they pictured, they kind of sketched out this character who was originally understood to be Jewish, to be the ultimate response to the rising anti-Semitism that was happening throughout the world. Now, <laughs> they decided to make him an extraterrestrial. They had decided to bring him from outer space because they did not want their very serious character to ever be confused with the likes of, and I kid you not, this is true, they did not want his, their character to be confused with Popeye, dork. <laughs> Ours is a real serious character, not like that Popeye person, and so they bring him from outer space, but watch this. If you know anything about the original story, what happens is a deteriorating planet, Krypton, 
is deteriorating so rapidly that a mom and dad place this young child into this sort of receptacle and send him away. Now, though we understand this Superman character now to take on Christ-like qualities, originally, Superman was supposed to take on Moses-like qualities. They put this little guy in this basket and send him up the river and he lands on earth. (laughs) And sure enough, has the capacity to deliver people because of his special giftedness. Now, I think pretty early on, when Siegel and Schuster stopped writing and other people started writing, they said, Moses, no, no, we can aim higher than that. Let's make this Jesus character almost, I don't know, Christ-like. And so you've had these different opportunities. Like, you've got George Reeves, one of the first, The Adventures of Superman. Remember, how many of you, okay, how many of you remember this? Okay, all right. And then you had Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Then you had, this was, I don't know, I don't, this one didn't count for me almost. Uh, Dean Cain, The Adventures of Lois and Clark, and then you had Tom Wellman in Small, how many of you remember Smallville? Did you know that that show lasted 10 seasons and the, the character never did put on the suit until the last episode of last season? Yeah. Then you have Brendan Routh in a completely and utterly forgettable movie. <clears throat> And then you have the most recent Henry Cavill, who is playing, currently playing, and looks like will for a while, play the Man of Steel. Now, watch this. They try really hard to convince you of the uh, abilities, the power of this Superman character. And one of the things that they do is try to demonstrate that this person is, this is a Superman. You can tell it because uh, he can fly. So do you, do you remember, this is what it looked like early on. Fantastic. That is fantastic. And, and then, um, I don't know how many of you remember the Christopher Reeve, the first Christopher Reeve movie, but if you, I can remember in, in all of the advertisements for this movie that obviously I wasn't going to be allowed to see, <laughs> right, just the Nazarene, but I remember the advertisements. <laughs> that was cheap, sorry. <laughs> but I remember the advertisements, and if you remember, there was this phrase that kept coming up in the run-up to the movie. And the phrase was, you'll believe a man can fly. And so, at what was supposed to be the height of cinematic technology, here's what they gave us, and they said, yeah, you're going to believe that a man can fly. If you don't believe it, take a look at this. He's in the Fortress of Solitude. He's just standing over there. Then I kid you not, this person that I believe is Superman often, look, yeah. And so there was a time when that was the height of cinematic achievement. Look at that. And then, and most recently, we've got this. Now this is a little more sophisticated. We're not gonna watch very much of this. But this is in uh, The Man of Steel's movie. It's about four or five years old now. This is uh, Henry Cavill trying to figure out how to fly, because if he can fly, if he can fly, then he can finally be, watch this, savior. Now you can't hear this. In fact, I kinda want you to turn it down even a little bit more. There is underneath this scene right here, narration, that is actually his late father. His late father is saying to him, well, here's why you have all these special abilities. But then he gets to to this part, but here's what you can do with these special abilities. Even says this, you can save them. 
In this same movie, in this same movie, stick with it, Henry, stick with it. In this same movie, there's actually a scene in a church in Kansas, supposed to be a church in Kansas where Clark had grown up going to church, and he goes in to ask the pastor a very important question. When is it right to give your life away? And the pastor walks him through, <laughs> well, sometimes a person gives his life away and saves a whole bunch of other people, and this conversation is had against the backdrop of a stained glass window of, you guessed it, Jesus. In the movie that comes after this, Batman versus Superman, there are some opening scenes in which the people reach out for and access the Superman as if he is a savior. And there's a particularly poignant scene. People are on top of a roof. There's a flood. I mean, you remember this scene? There's a flood, and these people are actually stranded on top of their roofs, and there's Superman, not yet saving them, but just sort of, just sort of, I don't know, just stuck there in the sky. And this woman is reaching toward him as if he is divine. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy these stories. Now, Superman is no Batman, obviously, right? Hey now, hey now, hey now, hey now. But I enjoy these stories. I, I do want to make sure that I'm aware of it when Hollywood would like for me to believe that Superman is Jesus. I also want to be aware of it when our hearts want Jesus to be Superman. Everybody with me? Because that happens too. That's not necessarily new that our hearts, I mean the flying is better in this movie, right, than it was in the old show, it's better, it's better. But our hearts at times want Jesus to be Superman. That, that's not new. Um, go ahead and advance, there we go. We have to ask ourselves this very important question. As it has to do with the ascension of Jesus, what do we make of this story? How do we understand it? What, do, what are we supposed to think here? Because I think there are some bad thoughts, ugly, unhealthy thoughts available to us. Again, that's, that's not necessarily new. The disciples, after the resurrection, come to him and they say, hey, do we get to go beat up everybody now? <laughs> are you going to restore us? Are we gonna have the top spot? See, all the way back then, though they had never heard their first Superman story, they wanted their Jesus to be Superman. They wanted their Jesus with biceps. They wanted their Jesus to be bulletproof. They wanted their Jesus to be their champion. They had always wanted their Messiah to be their champion. And the disciples are still, this is after the resurrection, you guys. Now do you see what I mean? It doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop with an empty cross and an empty tomb. We have to complete the thought in order to be the kinds of people we need to be. We have to complete the thought to understand this Christ as this Christ seeks to be understood. Are you at this time going to take the role of Superman and bring back our folks as opposed to all the other folks? And Jesus responds with, oh. Jesus responds with, you ask questions you should not be concerned about. You ask questions you shouldn't be concerned about. Here's what you should be concerned about. 
I, says Jesus, have conquered sin and death. The biggest bullies on the block. I have faced down the greatest powers that came at me, came against me. I have conquered them. And so I am king over them and everything. Hey, church, do we live as if Jesus is king over everything? Do we live as if this Jesus, having faced down the greatest powers that could ever have come against him or us, and having wrestled those powers to the ground and defeated them, do we live as if our Jesus Christ is in fact king of all creation? Do we live like that? The ascension, what do we make of it? The ascension is that moment when we can see, quote unquote, that this Jesus really is king. What do we make of it? What do we make of it? Here's what we make of it. This Jesus, this Jesus is the greatest. Greater than, bigger than, stronger than, more powerful than, greater than any other king or kingdom, any other power. You can see it in the resurrection. And you can see it in the ascension. Maybe it's the language. Maybe it's the language that gives us some trouble because when we hear this language of ascension, we think ascending, like Superman. Right? And, and we perhaps think that Jesus is in fact gone. Like Superman. What is it that Superman likes to say before he leaps and flies away? It's, it's up, up, and... Well, some of us experience Jesus like that. Away. Away. Not here. And if away and not here, then maybe we have put Jesus into the category of, okay, king elect. There's an election... But the person who wins the election is not yet the president. In between the time that he wins the votes and is put into office, he's known as the president-elect. Is Jesus for you king-elect? I mean, whose rules are you living by? Is Jesus for you king-elect? I will raise my hand, John. I know. I believe this story. I believe in the resurrection. But I also believe in the ascension, and he sort of just flew away. But man, when he comes back. Does that mean for you and for folks who think like that, that Jesus is not really king, he's sort of king-elect? And if he's king-elect, then somebody else is king. If Jesus is king-elect, then somebody else is king, and we are living by somebody else's rules. Is that true of you? My favorite book of the Bible. My favorite book of the Bible is, anybody want to guess? 
Oh, I love the book of Revelation. I love the book of Revelation and because it's kind of this, right? I think a slightly frustrated resurrected Christ shows up in full king regalia. You remember this? Shows up in chapter one, scares the whatever is out of John and says, I have a message for you and I intend for you to take this message and to send it out to all the other churches. And here's the message. I'm king right now. And the churches should behave accordingly. Jesus said to John, while John was on the island of Patmos, look, I'm not just resurrected, I'm the resurrected king. Not king elect, king, right now. And all of the churches are going to be held accountable. Ooh, somebody said to me not too long ago, people aren't held accountable around here. Okay, all right, watch this. All of the churches and all of the folks who are sitting in the pews of all the churches are going to be held accountable for whether or not you are living as if Christ is king. Amen. Now, here. What do we make of the ascension? We probably could use another word to give us a better idea of what to make of the ascension. If I had said to you, let's don't use the word ascension, let's use the word coronation, or one that may make more sense to us, inauguration, <laughs> or one that may make more sense to us, another uh, phrase, ascend to a throne. What do you make of the ascension? It is the moment when Christ takes Christ's rightful place. We say it in our most ancient creeds, ascends to the right hand of God, which means, symbolically, <laughs> Christ is king. And the ultimate authority over all of creation. Or is he for you? I mean, honestly, answer this question. You don't have to answer it to me right now. You don't have to point at your neighbor. It's exciting, but you don't have to do that right now. Is this Jesus King elect for you? Whose rules do you play by? What do we make of the ascension? <laughs> it's the official coronation of our king who doesn't fly away. He just takes his place right hand of God, and now is the authority, and you and I will be held accountable for whether or not we are actually following our king. I should stop there, but I'm not smart enough to stop there. So what do we and should we do with the ascension? Okay, you've told us what we make of it. It's coronation day. It's inauguration day. The day that Christ ascends to the throne. But now what do we do with it? You've given us a way to think about it, but now what do we do with it? Well, those answers are there in Scripture. But I'm going to give them to you right up front. Here's what we do. Wait, pray, witness, repeat. We wait. We pray. Witness. Repeat. As a matter of fact, I am not sure if we can actually be good subjects in service of this king, good subjects in this kingdom, 
if we aren't doing this? Waiting and praying, bearing witness, repeating. Jesus says to them, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, yes, here in Jerusalem, but your scope is way too small. The disciples were always guilty of having a vision that was only as big as they were, not as big as Christ was. You'll be my witnesses, yes, in Jerusalem and in all Judea, but also in the badlands of Samaria. As a matter of fact, as far as creation goes, you will be my witnesses because that's how big the kingdom is, because that's how big the king is. Look at those arms. That's how big the king is. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Not up, up, and away. Hey, I don't know how many of you have seen the president within the last month, but you believe that the president exists. Amen? So not away. Out of your sight doesn't mean away. <laughs> Out of their sight, but not gone. So they stood there, awestruck, as you would be, right? I mean, what would you do? I would be too. I will stand forever and watch balloons disappear behind clouds, much less a person disappear behind clouds. And so they were standing there, standing there, and they were so transfixed on what was happening in the clouds above them that they didn't realize, they didn't recognize, they didn't notice that two men in robes were standing there, starting to elbow the disciples and saying, what are you got? What are you doing? Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring up at heaven? Jesus told you what to do. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Go get busy doing what you've been told to do. And so they go. They go, and here's what they do. They go, they wait, and they pray. And they witness and then they repeat. Last verse. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Again, this is not new. Jesus told us what was going to happen. We can see this at the end of Matthew in some of the most familiar verses that have ever been uttered by anyone who's claiming to be Christian. All authority in heaven on earth, Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, and why not? He won. All authority has been given to me. Go, since I'm the winner and I'm the king, you're the subjects, here's what you're gonna do now. I'm the king, telling you what to do. Here's what you need to do. <laughs> Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, it's not up, up, and away. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, maybe you didn't have this conversation with anybody on Thursday, as I'm sure you, like me, celebrated Ascension Day. <laughs> maybe you didn't have this conversation, but maybe somewhere in the recesses of your imagination, 
the ascension is a way to explain why we no longer see this Jesus. Maybe the ascension is a way to kind of understand why Jesus is somehow absent. But can you see how that concept of Christ's absence is the slippery slope upon which we build this mindset that Christ is not so much king as much as he is king-elect. And maybe this is why folks can come to church. Maybe this is why folks can come to church and not necessarily live according to the highest hopes and dreams of God, the highest hopes that we hear communicated in the words of Christ that go something like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, love your enemies. That is not spoken by king-elect. That whole love your enemies. That whole turn the other cheek. That whole give to the one who steals from you. That is not written by the king elect, but by the king. And you and I are accountable for the words of the reigning king. Some folks don't understand what is one in the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Christ was odd. Can, can we agree that if we were to see someone living as this Jesus lived today in Oklahoma, 2017, It'd be odd, awkward even. To prioritize love and grace the way Christ prioritized love and grace, it's odd, risky, dangerous, and right. (laughs) As evidenced by the cross and the resurrection, In the ascension, our king says to us, I told you, I told you what you could be. I told you what life could be like. I lived it, I died it. I am living it again. This is the way the universe is constructed now as evidenced by the resurrection and the ascension. But do the people who comprise the body of Christ Do we access this king as king or king-elect? Do we know that the battle has been won? So Memorial Day, uh, we believe that Memorial Day as a tradition started just after the Civil War when a lot of folks and, and, and lots of women actually made it a point to have a day where all of these graves would be decorated. All of these graves would be decorated. In 1966, 
President Lyndon Baines Johnson declared Memorial Day as a national federal holiday, and he said, and he said, this is a hundred-year-old tradition where people recognizing the loss, the loss of life in the Civil War, decorated, decorated these graves, and, and we're going to make a federal holiday out of it so that we can every year, this same last weekend of May, the same last Monday of May, we can say the same things. We honor those who have gone before. The war is over. We honor those who have gone before. Interestingly, though, in the Civil War, <laughs> even after General Lee surrendered on April 9th of 1965, there were people who didn't actually know that the war was over, and so they kept fighting and killing after the surrender. In fact, perhaps the last shots of the Civil War were fired by this guy, Captain James Waddell, who was the captain of the ship, the CSS Shenandoah. Now, just a few weeks before Appomattox, Waddell was sent out onto the seas, and this, these were his marching or sailing orders, shoot everything that has to do with the North. Destroy it. Disrupt as best you can the shipping resourcing of the North. Just a few weeks before this ship and this captain set out onto the seas to follow orders and to fight, 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 fight. But not too long after, General Lee surrenders, April 9th, 1965, and the war should have been over. But Captain Waddell didn't know it. He didn't know that the war was over, but there was a winner. And so he kept fighting, kept fighting. In fact, it was November of 1965 before he knew that the war was over and actually tried to make a run for it knowing that they would be tried as war criminals they actually sailed they actually made one of the first uh, uh, what do they call it circumnavigated the grove by the, gro the grove the globe by water and escaped all the way tried to get all the way to England didn't know the war was over Kept fighting because he didn't know there was a winner and a loser already. Not until November of, 19, of 1865. I know Christians who don't know that the battle is over. I know Christians who don't know that there's a winner and a loser. I know Christians. I know Christians who don't yet realize that they will be held accountable for whether or not they're following the already victorious, already reigning king. I know Christians who are a lot like James Waddell. They're still fighting in the hopes that someday maybe Jesus can finally win. You guys, Jesus won. Jesus is the winner, the victor, the king. I don't know what judgment day means. I don't. I don't even like to think a whole lot about it, honestly. I do think it will have something to do with whether or not we have lived out and put skin and flesh on the victory of Christ. 
I do think it'll have something to do, like the entirety of the book of Revelation tells us, I do think it'll have something to do with whether or not we are living as if we're on the winning side. I do think it'll have something to do with whether or not we are living as if love is greater than power. You do know that the war is over, right? And because he won, we win. What do we do with the ascension? We wait and we pray that our eyes and that our ears would be open so that we could see and hear what we couldn't see and hear before. We could understand the victory as having been won. And then we witness in how we go about relationship. We witness in how we go about battle. We witness in how we go about business. We witness in how we go about money. We witness in how we go about driving. That's, that's a tough one for me. <laughs> we witness in how we go about, you name it. Crown him the Lord of life even in how you live. And we do this every week, and if you're helping us, go ahead and come on up. We do this every week in the hopes, in the hopes of seeing something we couldn't see before, in the hopes that our eyes and our ears and our imaginations will be open so that we can see and participate in the victory of Christ. Remember at the end of Luke 24, Jesus was telling a great story about cross and resurrection, he was telling a great story, but the people who was telling the story too didn't recognize him until he broke the bread. Our hope is that as the bread is broken, you will recognize this Christ again. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and by them, Lord, open our eyes to see and hear you and experience you. Give us the capacity to be resourced by the Spirit so that we can, along with those first witnesses, be witnesses. Give us the imagination and the capacity to wait when we need to wait, to pray when we need to pray, and to witness when we need to witness. And then God give us the imagination necessary to recognize that all of that must be repeated as often as it takes, as often as it takes to move the kingdom ahead. In a moment, you're gonna be asked to stand to your feet to exit your pews to the left and then to come forward with your hands cupped. We will have stations throughout the sanctuary, one person holding bread, another person holding cup. This is how we do communion around here, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna ask you to come forward with your hands cupped. Step first to the person holding the bread. Your hand's cut because all of this comes to you as a gift. You don't have to reach for it. You don't have to grab it. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to charge it. It comes to you as an absolute gift. With your hands cupped, 
that person will take a piece of bread, press it into your hands and say, this is that body of Christ broken for you. May your eyes be opened at that point. May you actually see what you couldn't see before, like those folks in Luke 24. Don't eat the bread just yet though. Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding the cup. And when you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. If it's at one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. And somebody will meet you there to pray that prayer for healing. If it's at one of these kneeling benches right here, we won't assume a thing. But we also won't let you pray by yourself. At some point during your prayer, someone will touch you on the back of the head, the neck, the shoulder, just to let you know that you are not alone as you pray. And certainly, if you'd like, you can circle right back around and go to your seat and pray there. But please pray. And here's something. You have a laundry list of things to pray about, I know. Can you add this? God, help me to live as if you're king right now. <laughs> help me to know what it would look like for me to live as if you are not the king elect, but king right now. Right now. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat it, Remember me, the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ says, remember who's king. After dinner, he took the cup, he held it before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant now shed for you. And every time you drink of it, remember, remember me. The resurrected Christ says, remember me. The ascended Christ says, remember me, your king. Who is welcome to come to this table? Anyone who understands his or her need for grace. It does not matter what you did before church. If you understand your need for grace, this is the place for you. There's also a bowl up here. It's got some water in it and it's meant to help to jar your memories that you remember that you are amongst the baptized. If you have been baptized, you need to be reminded of your baptism. This is the place. Just dip your fingers here dry them off this towel provided and may you be reminded that you are chosen, welcomed, included adopted into this family of faith. If you can't come to us, Jason and Aaron are headed to you all across the sanctuary now if you would stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped the gifts of God for the people of God Oh.
simply this today, church. Dear God, are you for me the king or the king elect? Are you for me the king or the king elect? Father, we confess that there are times when we have allowed our knowledge of these stories to substitute for real ramifications and implications of these stories. Father, we confess knowing that there are many competitors to your throne 
confess that at times we haven't behaved as folks who access you as our king. Forgive us, receive us again, and help us, God, to move toward Christ's likeness, to, to move toward that kind of life that allow us to demonstrate and implement the victory that we see won so clearly over sin and death and the resurrection. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. In these moments of intercessory prayer, would you tune your heart and your thoughts and your prayers towards those in your life who need a specific healing touch from God? Some of those people who are very close to you and your family. Some of those folks you might be able to find in the back of that worship folder in the prayer section. Others you may not know, but I'm going to list some names and some situations in which you might be able to pray together congregationally. Pray for our friend and pastor, Walt Crow. Ask you, God, we ask you to bring him healing from pain. Be with him, God, into your future. Lord, we ask that you'd be with Lynn Caprero. Trudy's here this morning, but Lord, we ask that you would heal and touch Lynn in a very specific way. Lord, we ask you would continue to heal and touch and be with LaDonna Bennett. There's so many other requests in the life of our church and those who I have prayed for this week and you've prayed for as well. One of you has a mother who's not doing well. One of you has sister that is not doing well. Some of you have recent loss, including the McKinsey family and the loss of Bobby's brother, Lonnie. We've had a moment of silence already for Memorial Day, but in these moments of silence, would you remember those who've gone before? Pray for those who remain. I already hugged Loretta Wheeler. Three years ago, we said goodbye to Lawrence. Three years ago, yesterday. accessory prayer, we want to take the time to pray for some of the important summer activities in life of our church, like our vacation Bible school and our kids club summertime. Mission trips like Zambia. In fact, if you're here and you're going to Zambia, would you go ahead and stand? Church, look around. It's okay to pray and open your eyes too. Do you look at some of the folks who are standing in these times who will be giving so much of their life, their prayers? If you want to reach out and touch some of those who are close by, we're going to say a specific time of prayer. For some of these folks who love so much this country that has loved them back,
so God, as a congregation, we surround our friends who've given so much of their life and their prayer and their preparation to head to Zambia. Lord, would you work in their lives as you work in the lives of the people of this wonderful country. Lord, we ask that you would come alongside of them in their safety, in their travel, in their witness, in the way that they work, in the way that, Lord, they continue to prepare a place where ministers of the gospel in Africa can continue, God, the transformation of the lives of their neighbors and their villages and their country. Lord, equip them with your love and your presence. Lord, as you sit on high at the right hand of the Father, would you come alongside these who are going to this country in grace and peace and with your presence, that you are not away, but you are with them. God, send with them our love and our prayers. God, you would change the world through them and that their lives might be changed as well. You can be seated as soon as you would like, or you can remain standing as you want to pray for your heart and your life in these moments as you prepare for Zambia. Lord, as we pray for Zambia, we pray for the world. Lord, we pray that you would continue to use people like us for the transformation of your kingdom around the world. God, we pray for peace. We pray for your presence. And even God, whether they're globally or next door, on this day, give us the courage to pray for our enemies. conclude this time of prayer with the Lord's Prayer and it'll be on the screen in front of you. We'll pray this morning using debts and debtors and would you join me in prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.